Hello, and welcome to the, I believe, penultimate episode of Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and I'm going to dispense with the usual long, rambling, pointless introduction, because I have to leave early today, so we're just going to dive right into analyzing the soundtrack, some various kinds of footage that's been released this week, and then the various and sundry TV spots. With me, as always, are the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson and Trish. Good morning, you guys. And, and thus goes our oh efficient gosh. start. I gotta go fast. <laughs> Mr. David, the efficient intro. So, okay, here we go. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, good morning, everybody. Yeah, uh, we're, yeah, Dave does have to leave, so we're trying to squeeze in some things uh, while we have Dave here. Um, today we want to start off with our, uh, with our discussion of the soundtrack. We've been waiting to do this for a few episodes, but trailers keep getting in the way. Um, so the soundtrack, as always, uh, is released well before the the film, and one of the you know to me one of the the biggest questions that I have had after the trailers and you know guys we've talked about this is that the trailers have left me with very little sense of the chronology of this film. I, I still don't really understand how a lot of those scenes that we've seen in the trailers really fit together in the shape of the whole film. I'm not sure I really understand the chronology of the previous films either, and I've seen them. <laughs> That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I just mean the order in which they're going to appear in the film. Uh, so um, let's hope, I'm, I'm hoping that a, a close look at the soundtrack will uh, help us to understand this a little bit more clearly. And I, I want to say that I am uh, grateful to... Uh, regular listener Philip Menzies, uh, who has uh, given us a, a not only a list of the soundtrack uh, titles, um, but also some analysis and commentary. Um, you know, so, uh, Corey, if you're if you're really desperate to understand it, um, there are you can go over like on OneRing.net and some of those websites. They basically people <laughs> have written um, complete summaries of the film in reviews no, and stuff. No, so. no I'm not desperate. <laughs> Okay, at okay. all, actually. Uh, yeah, I, I guess... I'm really pointing out about how untransparent that is. Yeah. Before, see, this is... I, I don't know. I mean, this 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 happens every year, uh, you know, when, like, we like we talk about what's going to happen, and we're like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen, and then people, like, take that as meaning that I'm, like, really, really desperately wanting... No, I, I'm fine to wait, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, in fact, I quite prefer to wait. Yeah, I um, do, too, surprisingly. Usually I read every spoiler I possibly can about stuff, uh, but, but this is one instance where I saw, like, you know, people are like, oh, hey, you know, spoilery review over here, and I'm like, I'm not going to read that. I kind of want to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm always fine with that. Well, and to me, and I've said this before, you know, I, I ranted about this last year, might as well rant about this again this year. The biggest problem that I have is not spoilers. That is, it's not, it's not gaining information about the story before I see it that bothers me. What bothers me is getting it through the interpretive lens of somebody else first. Um, I don't like reading other people's descriptions of a movie I haven't seen for the same right. reason that I don't read the scholarly introductions to books I haven't read before I've read the book. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm not going to read some other scholar's analysis of a text I haven't yet started reading. I read right. the introduction last, of course, if ever, um, because it's it's just like why why on earth would I want to 
you know, try to like interact with somebody else's thoughts and perceptions of a thing that I haven't seen myself yet. Um, so, you know, it just seems to me that the, the only sensible way to proceed that first you experience it yourself and then you're prepared, um, you know, because you're not even equipped to perceive the way in which, you know, the, the you know, the sort of what kind of, you know, filters and lenses other people are seeing through. And even when people are just doing plot summaries, you know, still, like, what they choose to emphasize and what they choose not to emphasize, what they notice and what they don't notice, all of these things matter. All of these things have an impact um, on, you know, your, th that, for, that perception of the story. And when it's the first perception that you're, that you're getting, you know, when you're first. So to be getting a first glimpse of a story in this, you know, really secondhand way, I just find, um, I just find that really, really uns unsatisfactory is the best thing I can say about it. Um, often I find it really actively uh, distasteful. By the but, way, um, uh, there's a possibility. I just I was just checking my email. There's a possibility my 9 a.m. meeting might be canceled. So I may not have to. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. Well, good. If we get to keep you, the next one. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Very good. good. <clears throat> um, okay, good. So anyway, so that's why I that that's why I don't read all those spoilery spoilery things, and why I'm not interested in other people like going to see the film and then writing all about it or you know what whatever. I don't object to seeing like you know today we're going to look at one of the advanced clips that's been released. It's about a minute and a half of contiguous footage, it seems, and um, I don't object to seeing that. I mean, yeah, it's out of context, and I'll appreciate it better when I see it in context. But at least, at least it's still a primary text. You know, it's not a secondary text, and that's my uh, that's my uh, that's my chief objection. So anyway, so no, not desperate. Plus, uh, plus, you want to have your your moments of screaming at the uh, uh, at the injustice of of. Um their choices going against your selections in the riddle during the <laughs> during the actual film when you can disturb the other moviegoers. That's right. That's right. Yes. You're going to have yet another inst installment of uh, poor unfortunate stranger who uh, is uh, unwittingly sits next to me uh, at the screening of The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Does your family go with you to the first screening of these movies, or do you go by yourself? Well, um, the last two I've seen advanced screenings uh, oh, right. of, and I they only usually give me one or two tickets for those, so right. uh, I can't take everybody. Um, and uh, so I'll probably do that again this year. Um, so, I mean, but, does, does Bridget go with you? I mean, does she... Is, does she want to go with you to something like this? No, no. My wife actually hasn't seen any of these movies. Um, <laughs> she, she, she's not. No. Smart. No, Very she smart. Hasn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Brent, yes, we are going to. That's the clip I'm referring to that we're going to talk about today, the Galadriel clip we're going to look at in uh, just a few minutes. But let's talk about the soundtrack first. So, okay. As I was saying, sequence. So, first, I'm going to just read out the list of the track names all the way through. And I want to start off with sort of a discussion of the overall shape of things, and then we can go in and kind of talk about details along the way. Um, so the track list is Fire and Water, to begin, Shores of the Long Lake, 
Beyond Sorrow and Grief, Guardians of the Three, The Ruins of Dale, The Gathering of the Clouds, Mithril, Bread for War, A Thief in the Night, The Clouds Burst, The Battle for the Mountain, The Darkest Hour, Sons of Durin, The Fallen, Ravenhill, To the Death, Courage and Wisdom, The Return Journey, There and Back Again, The Last Goodbye, Ironfoot. With a bonus track called Dragon Sickness. Hmm. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, so again, looking at the big picture, looking at the... So the first thing is... The first track is Fire and Water. That does seem to answer our question. Um, or seems very strongly to suggest the answer of one of our riddles, which is where is the film going to start? Uh, I'm assuming that that means we're starting with the attack on Lake Town. So right. that so seems hot. relatively clear. The shape going from fire and water to shores of Long Lake to beyond sorrow and grief. Um, fire and water and shores of the Long Lake sounds like clearly we've got a destruction of Lake Town, then aftermath of the attack on Lake Town, which is probably both... I would imagine, you know, refugees of Lake Town on the shore, as well as um, presumably that scene with Kiwi and Toriel and the rock on the shore of the lake that we saw in the trailer. That is the the, the parting between Kiwi and Toriel as the dwarves head up to Erebor. Um, that stuff is all presumably included there. Beyond Shadow and Grief, I'm not really sure, because that could be... That's sort of... Guardians of the Three is obviously Battle of Dol Guldur stuff. But Shadows and Grief, I was thinking, could still be Dol Guldur as well. Yeah, Beyond Sorrow and Grief could easily be sort of like a transition from the right. refugees at Lake Town to Gandalf at Dol Guldur, basically. Right. Um, Dude, um, because Galadriel we have to be careful, right, because these aren't always in... That... We aren't always in order, that's true. Well, this is more. Surely the soundtrack list is more reliable than uh, like trailers or anything like that. I mean, it's not like that kind of skept. It's not like that level of skepticism that we have to have, right? Well, I'm thinking that Galadriel probably does need some kind of musical accompaniment for her to get um, Gandalf down and pick him up and carry him. So that's that might be. This might be the song where that happens. Yeah, perhaps so. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think the sequence is correct, but, but of course, I mean, we have to, you know, we might not be, um, it's not... Well, except for Ironfoot at the very end. I'm not... Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, that's all the credits roll or something. <laughs> How peculiar that would be, though. Anyway. I um, know. Okay, so as Guardians of the Three, then the Ruins of Dale, the Gathering of the, of the Clouds, and Mithril, so... After that, I guess, Dol Guldur, we go up to the preparations at the mountain. Um, so the ruins of Dale, we've got the camp up there then, presumably. Um, the gathering of the clouds. Probably the three armies part. Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, but it's way before... Or maybe it's it's well before Thief maybe it's just and the Night. An array of, maybe it's an array of everybody <clears throat> getting ready, like we see the orcs marching and 
this has got to be the portion of the film where we have the Thorin going bonkers thing, you know, mm. like in the, like, Dwalin telling him he's off his head and, and uh, Kiwi yelling at him and everything. Like, all, all that has to be happening here, too. Maybe also the confrontation between Thranduil and Toriel that we saw. And possibly um, the bard speaking through the little teeny hole and yes yes bard speaking through the yeah through the through the through the hole in the wall um yeah yeah so presumably that's all in there um mithril i suppose has to be the giving of the mithril coat right like the ar- like the arming of them that's what i was um, thinking everybody getting their armor on yeah and th- so there, there may be some of the interior Thorin going crazy stuff maybe in that sequence as well. Um, Bread for War, uh, Philip Menzies was suggesting that that's uh, a reference to the war bats, you know, yep. that scene with the, uh, which seems, that seems to make sense. Yeah. Um, because that's interesting, because that's that one track is interjected in the middle of what looks like a pretty obvious sequence. The ruins of Dale, the gathering of the clouds, um, Mithril, a thief in the night, the clouds burst, battle for the mountain. That's all pretty straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the the relationship between movie chronology and book chronology is concerned, bread for war, then, is that interjection of, you know... The enemies of the orcs are coming, or the armies of the orcs are coming. You know, this is, uh, you know, basically sort of the that that seems to be kind of a nod towards the larger context of the. Well, another another uh, little tidbit that I picked up um, about the movie is that it's at one point, which I'm assuming is probably after, um, you know, the Lake Town uh, assistance, uh, Tauriel and Legolas head up to Gundabad. And I believe that's where they are when we see them sitting on a mountain talking. Um, and that might be where they are when they see the bats. So this that that bread for war might be. So those be a, scenes a with Florio and Legolas in the mountains. Yeah, they're like that sitting was, on. Yeah. You know, they're sitting around and with chatting. bats flying around them and everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm assuming. I mean, I'm. I've been. You know, when I found that out, I thought, well, that must be where they are when they're talking. So they just they just take a quick jaunt to Gundabad. Gundabad, yeah. Naturally, yeah. you know, right. it's just it's not far. It's yeah, you know. it's just down the block from the Lonely right. Round, after all. Yeah, I mean, because right. if you look at it on the map, it's only like four inches away. You know? <laughs> so how long could that take? Well, I mean, obviously Jackson is going according to Lord of the Rings Online distances in his movies right Dude, i don't even think you could it takes longer oh does it to ride your horse in area to the next than it takes radagast to get from Lokewood. i bet you i bet you you could not uh ride a horse from murkwood in lotro to rivendell in as short a time as it takes as, him to get there in the as south. jackson oh okay so I, that's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. That he would be shorter anyway. than that. Anyway, so so that could be what this that could be what that part of the score is about is they cut away to the two elves up in good to bad, hanging out. Right. Right. Could be. So okay, after the clouds burst, um, which is presumably I I take the I believe the clouds burst is probably when we're getting like the Battle of Three Armies action. 
because right after that comes Battle for the Mountain and then the Darkest Hour. We're obviously in the middle of the long battle sequence mm-hmm. here. Right. Um, the Battle for the Mountain and the Darkest Hour. By the Darkest Hour, obviously, we've got, you know, the orcs have to be in by then. Presumably they're in by Battle for the Mountain. Um, and uh, then we have Sons of Durin and then the Fallen. And then Ravenhill. This is the moment. Um, this is the moment that okay, fallen. So okay, the darkest hour, sons of Durin, the fallen, Ravenhill to the death. Okay, Ravenhill apparently is going to take a big part. You know how we were surprised that Dale was apparently going to be a scene, you know, a big battle scene. Apparently, Ravenhill is also going to be prominent as far as fighting. In the movie, right, 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 um, yeah, and we've seen that, and that was one of the. There, there are two things in the trailer that I that I would, was having the hardest time figuring out how they fit into the battle sequence. One was the Ravenhill scenes, and the other was that bizarre dwarves careening down the mountain and running right. over wargs in their bizarre war vehicle thing, right. which I still don't get. Um, and I don't see any obvious, there's no track called Bizarre War Vehicle Careening Down the Mountain or anything, (laughs) so I don't really know still where that fits. If the Ravenhill track is indeed uh, when we're getting that Battle of Ravenhill, it's really late, really late. Um, My best guess from just watching the trailer, since it's Bolg, they're fighting up on Ravenhill. That's really clear. That was clear from the first trailer that Bold was on Ravenhill. Um, I was I was assuming that Ravenhill was um, uh, that this was like an advance thing. You know that because Bold, you know, we knew Bold was leading an advance party in the last movie. So my thought was that this was like Bold still doing like some kind of reconnaissance and trying to break into the mountain from behind or something. Um, and uh, you know, and so again, that's still being prim- fundamentally preliminary to the primary battle. But it apparently is coming. I mean, it comes after the Fallen, um, so. You know, and this and the darkest hour followed by the sons of Durin. Um, uh, so I don't really. I, don't I wonder really if Ravenhill is where um, Azog is going to set up his command post. You know, I mean, it's up on the hill. Like we've seen, well, I mean, we've seen him up on hill waving to his, to his armies with his with his you know uh, iron arm, but. Right. Um, but I'm wondering if that's going to be where we see, like, Azog, can, you know, like, surveying the battle from or something. I don't know. I mean, but again, it's in that last trailer, we saw Azog fighting in what looked like it also might have been. I don't know where that was. Um, I mean, it mm, kind of looked yeah. like Ravenhill, but I don't know. Um, uh Obviously, Jackson doesn't want to just have a battle on a plane like Pelennor. Maybe, maybe he figured it would be too yeah. evocative. Well, and that's—I mean, you know—that makes sense. I mean, the description of the terrain is is very different. I mean, there isn't a plane. Um, 
uh, in you know next to Erebor, and and the battle takes place in the foothills uh, of the Lonely Mountain, you know, on the lower slopes of the Lonely Mountain, even in the books. So, um, uh, oh, so Brent Sprinkle said that a clip that aired during the world premiere looked like Azog was commanding the army from a precipice using flag signals. If we see Azog holding like with like a semaphore flag taped to his iron claw, I'll be really happy. Actually, <laughs> that will make me so happy. That will be he'll, like he'll, his... he'll have to have like a holder. His his arm will have to you know take his arm out and put another thing in the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Semaphore flag attachment for his to, arm. You'll have to tell an assistant. Okay, now I want the 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 battle flag. Okay, now I want the retreat flag. <laughs> yeah, he'll have to. He'll Can have. He'll like, have so... He'll have a separate attachment for each flag. So that spike, <laughs> that spike that's driven back through the flesh of his elbow, is it is, is like is that threaded or something so that he can like attach his iron hook and he can attach his no no he has to pull that out and put another one in each time. So yeah, he has to skewer his own arm with the semaphore flag each time he wants to he wants to do it. That's good. <laughs> that's good. If we actually see Bulg like doing semaphore, that would that would be awesome. That would be like the second best semaphore scene of all time. That would be that would be awesome. The Lincoln, best, of course, actually... being the Monty Python uh, uh, skit of Wuthering Heights and semaphore. But <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, it would be Lincoln's almost right. As good Lincoln as that. has a good point, which is he thinks Ravenhill will be the penultimate confrontation with Bulg <clears throat> after, say, he's killed Feely and Ortorial and possibly Feely. And then to the death would be the final confrontation, I'm assuming, probably between, we're thinking, Thorin and, and Azog. Right? It's got to be, because if you look at the shape from there, so you've got Ravenhill, the fallen Ravenhill, to the death, courage and wisdom, the return journey. Courage and wisdom has to be has Thorin's to, deathbed. It has right? to be. Yeah. It has to be. Um, so to the death, therefore, has to be Thorin fighting to the death, presumably with Azog. Right. Makes sense. Um, uh, I was trying to come up with help. something else it could be, but there really isn't anything. I'm thinking it's going to have to be, you know, you know, who's going to kill Bulk? I'm thinking it's going to be Legolas because he's going to have to have retribution for having had a, you know, gotten a bloody nose during their fighting. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. He'll want revenge. Well, we'll see. I, I am. Um... <sighs> okay, I have a theory. Here's my theory. I have a theory for what the. Ravenhill's thing is about. Um, and that is, I think it's a plan to make the dwarves of Erebor more active during the entire battle. Because if you think ah. about it, the way the battle unfolds in the book is, remember, like, everyone, including the reader, is, like, everyone forgets about Thorin. And the reader is even encouraged to forget about Thorin. Right, um, the narrator in fact says when Thorin opened the gates and like you know blows horns, everyone says like they had forgotten about Thorin. Right, um, I cannot imagine Peter Jackson is going to permit us to forget about Thorin. Um, right, seems unlikely. The majority of the battle, um, but again, but I mean the battle is almost over before Thorin and the dwarves inside do anything. Um, and again, this is actually it's another example of something that works well in the book. But on film would look really dumb. If you tried to depict it faithfully as it's depicted in the book, it would be really disappointing to watch. Like, because you'd have to show, 
you'd have to either just not show Thorin at all and you know lead the the viewer to conclude that he was just sitting on his thumbs in the in the uh, you know in the mountain for some reason or you'd have to actually show him choosing to do nothing while the majority of the battle plays out in front of his gates neither one of those is really a very palatable thing to actually show the 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 viewer Thorin doing nothing is very different from just permit you know a, a narrator in a book permitting the reader to focus on something else um, so I think therefore Jackson is going to want to give Thorin and the dwarves inside something to do so what he does and this seems to me a very you don't this think seems to fit the argue pattern. and look for uh, the Arkenstone is enough yeah, he's just, he's just, you know, they're like, hey, uh, Thorin, there's like a battle going on outside, and he's like, shut up, I'm still looking for the Arkenstone. Um, that probably <laughs> wouldn't be very good either. Um, no, 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 okay. This actually strikes me, seems like it fits the Peter Jackson pattern. So, okay, so if this is the challenge, the what do we make Thorin do during the battle sequence um, before he charges out? Um, one option uh, is to incorporate several elements from the book. And again, this, this is what strikes me as very Peter Jackson from the first two Hobbit films, is they want to include a reference to Ravenhill because it's in the book, and they've been going out of their way to include bits from the book of that kind. They want to include the fact that one of the turning points of the battle was when the the goblins came over the mountains from behind and were storming the defensive positions from the rear. So what they do is they make, uh, they, they give Thorin and company something to do. Cause remember in the, in the trailer, they were all up there at Ravenhill. We got a couple shots right. of right. all of them up on the mountain. Um, so it's not just like one or two of them, doing lookout at Ravenhill and then getting attacked by Bolg. Like, they were all up there. Um, so we've got Bolg leading a contingent, you know, so we've got Azog commanding the attack on the gates. We've got Bolg leading another contingent who are climbing up over the mountain and trying to come down from behind, as happens in the book. Thorin and company somehow get wind of this, and they go up there and say, like, we'll head them off at Ravenhill, and we'll prevent them from, like, coming down, because they recognize, like, the tactical difficulty that this will place the armies in down below. And so Thorin and company go up to Ravenhill to do, like, a heroic rearguard action against Bolg and company, and that's where the... And maybe Toriel and Legolas are both there, too, because, you know, the two of them are off doing their own thing, too. Maybe, in fact that, you know, it's like a second army from Gundabad or something that Bolg is leading and that they have tracked, I don't know, whatever, but I could imagine Toriel and and uh, yeah. uh, and and Legolas, Toriel and or Legolas showing up uh, there as well. So that's my theory. That's my Ravenhill theory. What do you think? I think it has merit. It um... would make sense of the placement anyway. Um, because it's clearly, I mean, it's obviously part of the of the main battle sequence, and it's got to be, it's got so it's therefore got to be relevant to the primary flow of, you know, to sort of the 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 major tactical flow of the battle, in order for that to mean anything. Remember those tactical drawings that we got from Jackson in where was it Empire magazine or um, I forget which magazine it was. Um, you know those those colored pencil drawings. Oh yeah. 
yeah. with the numbers and everything. Um, and those suggested that the tactical situation in the end is going to be similar to um, the tactical situation in the book. That is, with the elves and dwarves occupying high ground and the orcs in the valley coming up, which would back up the fact that an orc army coming in to attack those positions from behind would be just as big a tactical disaster in the film as it would, was in the books. Um, anyway, so... Um, now, after this, clearly, Thorin comes down and charges out the front gate. That's obviously going to happen. That presumably is the to the death, and it happens right after Ravenhill. Um, who is the fallen, then? Uh, you know, as we know that Keeley's alive on Ravenhill, we saw him in trailers on Ravenhill. Um, I, I, I feel like Keeley is sort of like the dwarves canary in the mine. Like, if there's one <laughs> dwarf, you know, as guaranteed to die as Thorin, it's Keeley. So if, like, Keeley's still alive, who could have died yet by then? You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Thoriel, maybe? I don't know. Hmm. But we've got have we've gotten um didn't you say, Corey, that we had some um indications that she might actually live? Or did somebody tell nah. me that? No, I didn't say that. Ah, was it you? <laughs> I didn't say that. Well, I mean we we get it was Bolg that threw Toriel up against the wall in the trailer, right? Yeah. 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 And was that at Ravenhill? We don't know. It was hard to I tell. I think it, it looked like Ravenhill. Was it? Okay. But it, it might have been Dale. I mean, you know, one ruin looks much like another. Ah, um, uh, Kate says that Radagast could be the fallen. <laughs> there you go. Yes. We interrupt this battle for, uh, as, I'm sorry, we scheduled Radagast's funeral for now. The battle is broken up, but I'm sorry, we're proceeding on schedule with Radagast's funeral, okay? So we're going to get, like, the the funeral dirge, just like the... Uh, just like the, 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 the dwarves of Nagrod, you know, bore the, the body of Azekal out of the, you know, the battle of, of, uh, uh, of unnumbered tears, uh, after he was killed by Glaurung, you know, we're going to get Sebastian and the hedgehogs bearing off, uh, the body of Radagast chanting their funeral dirge and no one dare approach them. You know, that's probably it. <laughs> I think that's pretty much uh seems that seems likely. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Um one so, okay, well so after, so yeah. last goodbye. Uh yeah. oh, that's the Billy Boyd song. That's just like the playing right. out through the trailer and that's really like last goodbye for the fans to for the, the whole franchise. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Uh, strange, strange comments and hints from Ian McKellen notwithstanding. Right, right. No, actually, I think I missed that. What did he say? He said, "Well, you know, this this may not be the end of the of the uh, of this may not be our last visit to Middle Earth. Peter Jackson could make some more films." Is he planning to outlive Christopher Tolkien? Is that, is that like a, a, a challenge? <laughs> Well, Peter Jackson. <laughs> Peter Jackson came out and, and pretty clearly said, pretty strongly. Yeah, said it was no, like, right? yeah, it, and with 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 no small amount of bitterness, it would seem said, you know, no, no, nope, nope. As long as the right. you know the Tolkien estate um, without the Tolkien estate's cooperation, there won't be any more films. Right. Um, 
I, you know, like, I don't, I, I don't know what Ian McKellen was doing. I, I don't think he was actually talking about what he thought Peter Jackson was going to do or, or, or relaying information from Peter Jackson. I think he was just kind of talk thinking out loud. And of course we've talked about this. We actually agree. <laughs> we actually think right. there's plenty of other films that he could make from the appendices and stuff, but, um, Oh, absolutely. Well, Tim says that's true. And Tim says Ian implied they might be total fanfic. Well, right. Exactly. I mean, basically to take, there are any number of stories that are, either told in brief or just alluded to in the appendices, yes. which would be fair game because they're in the appendices and therefore they could, I mean, like for instance, if somebody wanted to do um, a feature film of the story of Helm Hammerhand, for instance, or mm -hmm. of the early career of Aragorn, you know, in his time as Thorngill, um, and his, you know, conflict with Denethor and the Battle of the of the Harbors, that could be done. You know, I mean, like mm -hmm. you could make a movie of that um, with the current movie rights because that story is told. Indeed, that story is only told in the appendices uh, of the of the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, you know, I mean, like in theory, yeah, that stuff could be done. The obviously the vast majority of like all of the details would have to be invented because it's not there. Um, just the vaguest outline of that story is there, but the vaguest outline is enough to show that it's a really, you know, it would be a really interesting story. And even, story. The, whole, even the whole Witch King uh, career could be done, couldn't it? In theory, sure. Why yeah, not? I, mean, that's, I, I don't remember that being like any place else, maybe in the history of Middle-earth, but it's not really any place else but in the appendices, is it? Yeah, no, not really. Um, I mean, it's certainly not. Basically, the only thing that would be, the only stuff that would be really sketchy would be stories which are primarily in the Silmarillion. I mean, like, for instance, you couldn't, just because there are two references to Turin, you know, his name is used twice in The Lord of the Rings, doesn't mean you could do the story of Turin Turambar and be <laughs> like, well, dude, like, it's in The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's not in The Lord of the Rings. Now, you know, and this is actually... Um, uh, this is a this is a discussion that I that I had with um, with Chris Pearson, the Lotro guy uh, at Turbine, when I was down there. Um, I was like, "You could do Baron and Luthien," and he's like, "You couldn't do Baron and Luthien in the Silmarillion." I'm like, "But the whole story is told twice in the right. Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, That's you get true. the whole poem, and then you get uh, Aragorn's narrative." So you know, but and, and then when I said that, Chris Chris Pearson just looked at me and kind of shook his head. Very slight. He's like, uh, no, no, no. You'd <laughs> no. be risking too much. Yeah. Not going there. Not going there. Not going to do it. They could do. Which I totally understand. They could do Arendil. Yep. 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 Arendil is 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 all there. I mean, the the poem that Bilbo recites in Rivendell is like the fullest version of the Arendil story. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's it's. Like even the Silmarillion barely tells more than we get in that. <laughs> but, Ooh, I agree the, with Sharon. Baron and Luthien destined to be an opera. Ooh, but the, that'd be a good opera. But I think the problem the problem is the problem is that these would be they'd be very piecemeal, right? Like there's 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 certain kinds of details and events that that are left out. Well, yes, yes, that's true. That's true. Um, that doesn't stop Jackson. I mean, I don't see why it should stop anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it's you know there's a lot now I, I mean I agree several people were pointing out that Ian McKellen was pretty obviously just blowing smoke when he said right. that you know uh, which is it sounds like he was saying something like well we thought we were saying goodbye to it in 2003 and look what happened so that might be what he meant right um, yeah I don't think yeah. he I, yeah I don't I, think he I don't think he was relaying privileged information I think he was just <laughs> talking I think he was just talking off the top of his head but. But the but I just thought I just thought it was funny because because I personally had very mixed reactions to it right like on the one hand on the one hand I I'm like I I agree yeah actually actually we've thought this through there are actually a lot of things that he could make on the other hand I'm sort of I also respond with horror I'm like I really just kind of just leave it alone. <laughs> Yeah. You know, quit while you're ahead. Like, Although I, I have to say, you know, the movies, having movies come out about this, it certainly does, like, revivify the conversation about Tolkien. You know what I mean? It's like one of the things around the movies, especially now I've been noticing, you know, there's, like, the pro and con movie people are out. But the, what happens as a result of it is the conversation becomes about Tolkien's writings, ultimately, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Because without the controversy, you know, you wouldn't have that much conversation going on. So – that's kind of a silver lining, I suppose, Dave. <laughs> it is. No, yeah. no, I I agree. I just I I I'm kind of I I'm at the point. I, I I don't know if you guys saw my Facebook post, but I but I saw the Hollywood Reporter article and was reading like the in their Facebook post and reading the comments on it, and I'm just reading it, and it's like, oh God, man, this is just this just kills me. It's like half the comments are from like the the book snob people that that you know that we've we've kind of. We've kind of why we while we sympathize with them, we've rejected their their reflexive negativity. On the other hand, then you have like the Peter Jackson fan people that like that clearly just have zero experience with the actual books that are like, right. oh no, please Peter, yeah. make us a Silmarillion film. And it's like you know, like Peter Jackson's done a reasonably good job with the films, but like, he's not that good. You know, like, right. like no, it's, right. it's, I just find I really it a little would disgusting. I not want a Peter Jackson Silmarillion yeah. film. No, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just. Made, I would not want him to do it. No, but also, like also the comment, idea. the way the person says it, please make me a Silmarillion film. Okay, that's a person that doesn't know anything about the Silmarillion. And, I, <laughs> and yeah. I'd venture to guess that's a person who would not even make it through the book and would probably hate an actual film version of the movie, unless unless oh, Peter yeah. Jackson just filled it with lots of action and, and attractive actors. And it's like, you know, like, I don't agree with either of those groups of people. The fan people that will watch any movie this guy makes or the books, book people that won't watch any movie anyone makes. Yeah. But, you know, the tantalizing thing for me about the Silmarillion is that there are pieces, not just Baron and Luthien, but the story of the fall of Gondolin, you know, mm -hmm. Turin's story, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's pieces that could turn into some really interesting film adaptations. I uh, agree. I done, agree. If done by the right person. Yeah. I just don't. I'm tired. Peter, somebody else do it at this point, and not even yes, not even exactly. necessarily because I think he's. Yeah, it's not even because well, I don't. Let's give it a rest for a little while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's not even because I necessarily don't like him or anything. It's just like overexposed. Like if somebody is going to make a Silmarillion movie, I would prefer it be a while from now, like ten years from now, and a, some kind of new director who can have a different take that won't be. I like Philip Lord's idea. Take it to TV like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You could do Tales of the Young Aragorn, right? As a TV series. Yeah, except, awesome. except make it better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, well, because, you know, the Young Aragorn traveled all over the place. So you would have, like, it would be like 
you know, the Hercules series was. You know, he'd the be like Aragorn all over the would place. be a really good premise for a running TV show, just like oh, a, yeah. a running TV I, show. Yeah. I Yoda. agree. I suspect that I suspect that the chances of us getting a properly executed version of that slim. Slim. I'm we pretty do, sure it would suck. We could do a web series. Somebody could do a web series. <laughs> I'm fairly certain it would end up sucking. But... We gotta get on that. <laughs> I agree. I um, agree. It probably would. So okay. So anyway, that sorry I derailed us with the with my snarky comment about Ian McKellen, but that that's what he said, Corey. He he he. Okay. I, I think he's just like stirring the pot. I um, think so, and and probably just catering to people who yeah. who. Yeah, Sharon said it was a fan hype moment. Yeah. Right, yeah. I Although see. I do, I hate the fact that, like, I hate the fact, like, I don't like it because I don't think, I don't think it's doing any good, right? Like, all it does is stir up negative feelings, either either people resenting the Tolkien estate, which, which while they are somewhat rigid, I actually kind of sympathize with them. Um, they certainly care. haven't been treated well by the various and sundry people who are commercially exploiting their their progenitors' hard work. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't like I don't like the attempts by the film people to leverage the fandom against them and stir up negative yeah. feelings against them. Which which clearly you know when Peter Jackson comes out and says, "Well, without the Tolkien estate's cooperation, we're not getting any more films." I mean, that's like. It's not like he's saying, "Look, they have concerns about the adaptation, which is understandable, and they're they're hesitant to do Silmarillion." And you know, I I get it. He no, like the way he says it, it's clearly just taking a pot shot, and he knows that his his legions of fan fanboys and fangirls are going to march with him. So it's just stirring up negative feelings, and then it stirs up a visceral, re, you know, um, reflex from the 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 book people against Peter Jackson. It's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. there's no there's no good that's coming out of this. It's just stirring up, you know, negative feelings. But um, isn't it predictable? I mean, isn't it predictable that all this stuff comes up around the premiere? I mean, yeah, me, no, that's true. It's just movie PR stuff. It's yeah. the studio marketing machine. Yeah. And it's and it's like the kinds of questions that journalists, you know, are all gonna have on their list to ask when it's the last film, right? So what are your next plans? Are you gonna do more? Like you know that every journalist is gonna be asking those questions. So, you know, perhaps in one sense, one of the other things that Jackson was doing was just like, can we kill this line of questioning, please? You know, I just like, it's not a question of what I want to do. It's it's an irrelevant question. Yeah. <clears throat> um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, so soundtrack. Soundtrack. Yeah, no, this, this was all inspired by The Last Goodbye, I think. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Thinking about the way in which that seems to be being used as a yeah. farewell to the film. Well, I was just thinking um, if it was Last Goodbye, Bilbo and Thorin, it should it should be up above at least. Oh, yeah. No, clearly. Because we've got both the return journey and there and back again. By the way, I love the fact that the, the, the soundtrack at least seems to be shaping up like the end of The Return of the King with what people are going to complain about multiple endings, right? The return journey. There and back again. The last goodbye. <laughs> right. i got to say, I'm really disappointed that there's not a, a soundtrack title called The Auction. You know, I, I wasn't going to bring that up. I have a bad feeling about this. I, I, it's got to be. I know there. they well, filmed it. Maybe it'll be in the extended edition. And, of course, I haven't said that too many times over the last few years. Right, exactly. I'll be looking forward to the uh, – I, I do suspect Tim Fisher said earlier on uh, in the comments uh, like half an hour ago that um, – <clears throat> it it 
kind of is starting to look like the Battle of Five Armies is going to be like incoherent in the theaters and is only going to make sense if it does yeah, uh, in the extended edition. Um, and James uh, Pace says the last goodbye could be Bill, but we'll never see the spoons again. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Last Goodbye is the credit, the first part of the credits. And you know how they usually have like a song for the credits and then Yeah, the that, that's what Philip was saying. Philip Menzies was saying the Iron Foot yeah. song is like the tail end of the credits. It's the very tail end, which is yeah. all, it's not vocal, it's it's all instrumental. Yeah. Or, or I mean, those, those last three, those last three look like tacked on extra stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that Dragon Sickness has to be like it's a or, bonus extra. Or... Um, or do you think the Ironfoot thing is from the the um, mid credit sequence where they show us the future uh, uh, Battle of Dale? <laughs> a, flash, <laughs> a flash forward at the end. Oh, that, that during the War awesome. of the Ring, you mean? Yeah. As a connection, as a bridge. I've been. I've oh, been yeah, at, at the very end, like the Marvel films do. You mean at the very, very end? Yeah, I've been wanna... vociferously advocating for this for for <laughs> let's see, three years now. I think this is. I think that's it. That'll be our bridge. Yeah, I did. I I don't. You know, I don't know whether this is this is accurate. I'm looking and seeing. There's no the iron foot doesn't fit anywhere else. Um, well, huh. Erica makes the point. Yeah, the bonus tracks oftentimes they fall throughout the movie, but they yeah. stick at the end of the yeah. soundtrack. Uh, I did. I was always th also thinking it could be something that didn't make the theater soundtrack, and is going to be in the extended edition or something. Yeah, because uh, obviously they included. Um, Thran, Thrine, Thrine, Thran, whatever his name <laughs> is, uh, from the other extended edition movie. I do. Uh, so, so it's just the Ironfoot thing. The thing it conjured in my mind when I saw it, and I saw it right there, was, huh? Maybe they're gonna make him a bigger character than we thought, and maybe he will end up being king. Dan, you mean? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dian, Dan, 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 Dan. Nah, unlikely. Dian, Dan, good. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy uncle. You know that um, that's been like one of the places where we, that's one of the places where we 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 were actually quite insistent that they would depart from the book and that we actually thought it was a good choice. Right. Uh, that yeah, they make that being, they make like Feely the the king. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, clearly. Oh, Sharon says she saw in an article Diane spelled as Dwayne. D W A I N. That's close. You know all those dwarf names. What do you? Keep what are you supposed to do? That would be a good name if I ever start a if I ever start a uh, dwarf character in Lotra. <laughs> name and Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I wonder if anyone in Lotro has used groin. Oh, I would <laughs> I would have a hard time believing there's not. Yeah, it's got to be somebody's used it. But anyway, anyway, okay. Sorry. Now we're getting now now we're getting off track. Now we're really well, getting off track. Um. So. That's to me that I feel like the most illuminating thing there was uh, well you know the sequence the the beginning of the movie sequence seems a confirmation, and uh, the Ravenhill thing I don't know if my theory yeah. is correct but uh, but the fact that I never would have guessed that the Ravenhill sequence was that late, so that is to me sort of the most eye opening thing there. Dave, do you still have to go? Uh, no, actually, to... believe it or not, me and got moved to tomorrow. So awesome. Carry on. Yay! I know. Very good. 
Okay, you know, so catastrophe. Um, that work stuff just gets in the way. You know what I'm saying? It yes, just gets in the way. Exactly. You catastrophe. Then let's look at. Uh, then let's watch that. That clip. Are we going to talk about Philip's Philip Menzies' notes about the soundtrack? Uh, I don't think we have time. I think we 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 we. Oh, I think we've talked enough about the soundtrack. Well, let me just let everybody know. Actually, Philip yeah. Menzies' comments on the soundtrack are actually in the forum on the Signum University site. So. Uh, actually, I think you can get to it from the Riddles in the Dark page on the Mythgard site. Um, it's not listed in the quick links, but if you go down the very first part of the write-up on the Riddles in the Dark page, there is the forum link. And if you flip over to that, you'll see Philip's very, very nice lengthy, because he talks about the themes, you know, so like Smaug's theme shows up at different parts. And, you know, so you can derive some interesting thoughts about how Howard Shore has used different people's themes in different parts of the movie. Yeah. So definitely I recommend you go over and read it and, and certainly engage in the conversation over there because it's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. All right. Here comes make sure okay. She got my hardware together here. All right. I'll say that for her. Yeah, she's holding him like he's like a piece of like he's a blanket. I am not alone. <laughs> I love that. You should have stayed dead. Sarah needs Sarah needs a serious manicure, folks. Yeah. That's a pretty. pretty it looks. It looks scene. pretty. I'm like simultaneously fascinated. It looks pretty awesome, and and also a little horrified at sort of the liberties they're taking. But I totally see this as a setup for Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, when you when you see this now in 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 Middle Earth chronological order, folks are going to already know who those Dark Riders are. Yeah, except they look this, way you know. cooler here. I know, way cooler, way cooler. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because they're clearly in wraith form. I mean, we can see yeah. how immaterial they are. I, um, and you know, I mean, like they're they're they're, they're semi transparent. Um, and I wonder how – I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily going to be any kind of an on-screen explanation of this, of course. But um, if it, it's just sort of 
but I can't imagine that Philippa Boyens hasn't thought about this. You know, what is this? Are they visible because, you know, these are wizards and wielders of the elven rings and therefore they can see them? Um, you know, if uh, Bilbo were standing here in the middle of this, would he see anything? Um, I don't know. I just kind of wonder. Uh, Ooh, you know, Kim Kim makes a point. She said, as Philippa said at the UK press conference yesterday, when Galadriel learns about Gandalf's falling in Moria in Fellowship of the Ring, this it, it'll take on a whole new context after having seen this. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And the new context will be, dang it, man, why do I turn my back for five minutes and you die again? I mean, honestly, do I have to be there to hold your hand all the whole time, old man? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I have a husband, you know. I mean, I am married. I can't yeah, be yeah. all exactly. these, like, Yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> if Peter Jackson has, has any George Lucas tendencies or temptations inside him, he'll want to go back and make like a special edition of Lord of the Rings where he'll right. he'll go and he'll, he'll go to that scene where um where they where they tell something. where they tell um the, the the tell Gladriel about Gandalf's death, or or rather they don't. She like picks it out of their minds and she goes, Gandalf the Grey has fallen, and he'll have to add in uh, again. Gandalf right. the Grey has fallen again. Jesus <laughs> Christ, <laughs> God. Or they'll, or I've they'll, heard or this story, but I've heard this before. Yeah. Like, All right. Sort of little flashback from this movie, or 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 we'll find out that in in the process of making the Hobbit, he filmed a few extra scenes. For Fellowship right. of the Ring, yeah. right? Kim, um, I think where is that available? I, I it was it it's was on IGN. YouTube. Oh, it's, it's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, so I, I got it on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. yeah. By the way, um, speaking of new footage, did you guys see the the footage from the battle in uh, that they played during the live stream of the world premiere? Somebody else asked that. Yeah, I no, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if there's a more convenient place, but if you want, I just put the link to the the website where the live stream was run in the chat, and I can tell you if you want to play it, I can tell you where to skip ahead to. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we talk about that in the next episode? Actually, we do have one oh, more episode idea. before the film. All comes right, all right, out. So fair we, enough. We, we, and, fair you enough. know, God uh, forbid we may run out of stuff. The reason I brought it up so. was the reason I brought it up is you asked the question about Ravenhill. And, uh, and that's addressed in this clip. Uh, okay. Okay. It's pretty cool. interesting. It gives you a sense of the chronology. And it also, also here's, I'll give you, I'll give you like a, 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 a tidbit, Corey. It shows that it shows that things, um, at least my, by my reading, things, things are not going to be quite as simple as they are in the book where the goblins show up and everyone's yeah. like, Oh, Hey, you know what? We'd better band together and forget our quarrels. Right. right. Um, yeah. Even once the goblins show up, people are still holding on their things. Specifically, Thranduil's kind of like, yeah, you know, uh, if the goblins happen to kill Thorin, uh, it's probably not a big deal. Right. Right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. 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 That I can easily imagine. Um, I just posted the YouTube link to the clip that we just watched. The uh, "I Am Not Alone" <laughs> clip. Um, so, okay, we get Goadriel carrying Gandalf. I'm presuming that this comes after Goadriel has walked in, and she is has barefoot, barefoot, and has begun already to uh, confront 
Sauron, you know, that this is backup now at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously right before Saruman says, you know, leave him to me, I will deal with him myself, uh, that we got in the trailer. Um, you know, this still doesn't necessarily, this scene still doesn't mean to me that Saruman hasn't fallen yet. No, no, it does not to me either. He's a little hard to read. Um, and we may never actually know, which would to- yeah. totally Jacksonian. Right, right. Um, Ooh, nice hair. Look at that hair. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, anyway, so... Um, other thoughts about this? I mean, at least, like, she doesn't look as egregiously weak as she has looked yes, right. in so many of the stills and some of the trailer shots, which is nice. Um, but, uh, I mean, I still don't necessarily, I still don't, I'm still not a huge fan of the, you know, uh, Saruman coming in and being all like, uh, can I help you out, little lady? You know, yeah. uh, it's, yep. it's, uh, okay, that's a little paraphrase there, but um, still, <laughs> it kind of seems to be going in that direction. Um, yeah, it's a little a little annoying. I'm not a big fan. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm still suspending judgment on the depiction of Goadru and I don't see any ring action between these three. I mean, there has been some uh, emphasis on the fact that the three ring bearers, you know, show up at Dal Guldur. I wonder if we'll actually see any of that, you know, special effect ring stuff from them. You know, you know what I wonder, and this just occurred to me, and pretty slow in the uptake here. Um, So there are four people here. Because Radagast is apparently already dead, and um, that's uh, true. Conspicuously got, absent. Conspicuously absent Radagast, um, or maybe he's waiting outside, and Saruman is just gonna like keeping the bunny sled warm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know. But anyhow, so okay. Um, yeah, he's like their getaway driver. Radagast is. Right. So um, we've got four people here, and. Uh, I, only one of them does not have a ring of power. Um, could this be... Gandalf's ring is supposed to be secret. Nobody right. knows, except the other wielders. That is, Elrond and Gladriel know, but nobody else, including presumably Saruman, don't know that Gandalf has the other ring. Um, but surely, like... Maybe that would come up here. You know, I mean, is this is <laughs> could be would put Saruman over the edge, ring envy. Yeah, be like, oh, oh, so you get, you know, like basically when they're, you know, it's like, oh, so, oh, so Gandalf has has the third Elven ring, right? Okay, I see. You gave it to Gandalf, not to me, right? Okay, yeah, I see, I see. Uh, <laughs> who's underappreciated around here? Um, uh, so anyway, um. Sharon asks, when did Gandalf get his ring? Well, um, in the book, he gets it when he arrives. Um, you know, he, uh, we're told in the appendix that he arrives late. Um, uh, that is later than any of the Astari. the last of the Astari to come to Middle-earth. And when he gets there um, is when Kierd and the Shipwright gives him 
the ring. So um, I, I assume that Saruman doesn't know. In, in, I mean, in the book, I assume that it's true that Saruman mm-hmm. doesn't know that Gandalf is. And is he never does, good. does he? Does he ever find out in the book? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, maybe he guesses when he meets Gandalf for the last time, you know, on the road mm-hmm. when when mm-hmm. the three wielders of the ring are are oh, yeah. you know riding home together. Maybe at that point he you know puts he suspects. It, I, he, I puts it together. Um, I don't know, um, but yeah, Sharon, right in 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 the book, right off, he he he's had it he's had it all along. Um, Gandalf has. Um, so uh, I wonder. I wonder if they're going to bring that up. I mean, you know, we've got we we start this scene with the overview of the you know the ring verse and everything. So yeah, I and then we have Elrond coming in saying she's not alone. Um, so the idea that the three rings of power might come into play, and this is something we've talked about all along anyway, it seems like an obvious kind of thing to do. Um, you know, the power of the three rings grouping together to oppose Sauron. Um, that seems, you know, not, seems sort of not unreasonable. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> how do you can, how do you carry on keeping from Saruman that, uh, he's left out, uh, here, you know, that he's the only one here who doesn't have a date to the prom, you know? That Could be is the true. We may see the beginning of him getting, um, getting, you know, his jealousy. Cause I mean, his, you know, the, the jealousy between he and Gandalf, which Tolkien refers to in uh, right. uh, later books. Um, Especially Unfinished Tales. Tales, Unfinished yeah. Tales yeah. Yeah. Um, we haven't really seen a sign of that in The Hobbit. I mean, and we see, we don't really even see it. It's not really in the Fellowship. We don't even really see it. Does he really mention it in Fellowship of the Ring? I mean, it's, by the time we see him in Fellowship of the Ring, he's basically trying to get Gandalf to join him. But it's not like I've always hated you and been jealous of you kind of attitude. No, exactly. It, it's not... We don't see that explicitly, I think, at all in the Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, you can kind of project it into it, um, but it, it, right. I, don't, I don't see it in the film. Um, uh, in the Hobbit, I mean, in the Unexpected Journey, the friction between Gandalf and you know the, that that little eye roll that Gandalf does, you know, when he first hears Saruman's voice and realizes that Saruman that Saruman is there, and then the like egregiously fake smile that he puts on when he turns around to greet him, um, you know, shows that all is not really well there, and at least leaves open the possibility of Saruman's envy. That's true. I always think that. Gandalf's eye roll is kind of like, oh, the windbag, oh my god, or, you know, the prince of the dads here, or something like that, you know. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to some extent, but I mean, it's like Galadriel and Elrond that he's talking to, so it's not yeah. like, you know, it's not like, a, like you know, the, the boring uncle is coming to visit the kids' table at Thanksgiving, you know, I mean, it's not exactly like that, it's... Um, to me, I mean, if there's, it's one of the things that I think is most out of continuity with the earlier films, um, is Gandalf's attitude to Saruman in that moment. Because mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. the Gandalf who so blithely and confidently s- says, "When I discover that Frodo's ring is the One Ring, the only sensible thing to do is ride straight down to." 
uh, Isengard and tell Saruman in the happy confidence that good old Saruman will be able to. He'll tell know what to, do. what to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's um, there is no way that the Gandalf who rolls his eyes in Rivendell would have that reaction, you know, upon discovering the Ring of Power um, in the Shire, in the Fellowship of the Ring. But anyway, um, uh. So anyway, that's that's one that's one sort of angle on this scene. I wonder where it's, you know, it it doesn't. It certainly. I'm going to be really disappointed if we don't at least see some. Yep, I more, agree. More overt inkling in this movie of Saruman going bad. I just, I'm going to be really disappointed if Jackson just leaves that out. Yeah, I'll be I'll be both surprised and disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, we also wanted to. Um, uh, Trish, you had an article you wanted to talk about as well? Yes, I do. Uh, very interesting article, uh, I felt, on IGN. Uh, and if you want to, you could post that if people want to see it uh, themselves sure. in the, the, the link. Um, it's an interview with Martin Freeman saying goodbye to The Hobbit. Uh, the first part is not necessarily germane. He's talking about as an actor, you know, how he feels about leaving The Hobbit. Predictably, he basically says it's a role, you know, I, I, I love my roles, I love being challenged by them, but I don't miss them when they're gone kind of thing, which, right. you know, hopefully an actor would say that. But he does say about his relationship to the ring, and I will, I'm going to read this because I think it's really interesting. We've talked about this whole thing really for the whole three years, Bilbo's relationship to the ring. And this is, this is Martin Freeman's take on it and the way he played it, I'm assuming. Um, he says it's like it's just unpleasant. It's unpleasant to be in the ring world for Bilbo because it's just like a massive white noise headache, I think. That's what I'm sort of seeing it as, like just someone punching you in the head for five minutes, and it's just you want to get out of it, and it's a, real, it's a relief to get out of it. So it doesn't have a sort of delicious kind of feeling of, oh, this could be nice. It's like, F word, it's unpleasant, I think. So in a way, it's even more, it's a double heroism, if you like, of Bilbo's to kind of put the ring on to come up and to give him this news because he's, yes, he's invisible, so he's got an advantage, but it's also unpleasant. He's not getting a freebie. He's having to really pay for it. So I would say this point for him is just difficult. It's a, it's a schlep. Yes, it's not nice putting the ring on. Hmm. And I just find that really interesting. It's very different, of course, from what we see in the book. Even in Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder. What You know what I would really wonder? What I would wonder is, what would Philippa Boyens say to that? That's what I wonder. Would she, well, would she say, is that what she intended or what was intended? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have some thoughts before I start. Uh, before I start ranting about it, do, do you have any thoughts about this, Dave? No, no. Start ranting. Start ranting. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. No, actually, all my thoughts are going to be rants as well. Um, okay. I. I. Well, uh, I yeah. Yeah. I don't. I'm not a big fan. I don't like it. I don't like it either, and I don't think. I'm not even sure. Like uh, you know, Sharon was saying, this. It sounds like it sounds like you know, no book at all, and, and pure Peter Jackson. If it is, I'm not even convinced that it's that. 
Um, I, <sighs> but haven't we seen it coming, really? Like well, the little okay. spider scene in Mirkwood no, and we no, reacted? No, not that. Not that. Not like <laughs> that it hurts oh, to have the ringer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, honestly, my reaction to this is thank you, Martin Freeman, for showing that you don't understand the story that you were taking part in. Yeah, you know, not even uh, not even necessarily the original source material, but even like no. the, the the actual movie you're you're filming. The role that you're actually playing. Yes, exactly. Um and and here I'm reminded I guess my 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 bottom line take home from this is this is why I shouldn't listen to what actors say at all. Um uh, yeah, I'm ever. reminded I'm reminded of that moment in the commentary track on the Fellowship of the Ring. The one time I made the mistake, and this cured me of this, um, the one time I made the mistake of listening to the actor's commentary track, audio track, in uh, the Fellowship of the Ring film. And I haven't listened to the, uh, the actor's commentary on any of the other films for this reason. Um, because I so don't want to know. Um, and the moment I'm thinking of, and I've talked about it before, is that idiotic moment, the idiotic comment that Orlando Bloom makes um, after Gandalf falls in Moria. Um, and he's explaining the face that he's pulling as Legolas uh, when they're out on the rocks and everybody's grieving after Gandalf's death and they've escaped from Moria. And, uh, and, and the, for those of you who don't remember the audio commentary of Fellowship of the Ring word for word. What Orlando Bloom says is he's the face that Legolas pulls is like this kind of puzzled face. And Orlando Bloom says with great, like, uh, you know, earnestness. Because see, Legolas is an elf, and elves are immortal. So I'm th I was thinking, like, he's probably never even seen anybody die before. Like, it's a totally alien concept to him because he's immortal, right? And all of his people are immortal. So, like, he's just sitting there being like, what just happened? Dude, I don't even really understand. I can't process this. And, and I just, like, I was listening to Orlando Bloom saying that, and I'm like, you are actually Yikes. as big of an idiot as you look. I mean, that's <laughs> unbelievable to me. Um, you know, it's it's like... Forget familiarity, like, you know, I'm beyond expecting them to actually be familiar with the facts of the books or anything. But, like, just think for two minutes about what you just said. Like, if you live forever, how many people will you have seen die? You have seen thousands of people die if you live for thousands of years. You know, I mean, it's far from death being an alien and unknown and strange concept to you. You're going to be much more familiar with it with anybody else. I mean, on no level does that make a single lick of sense. And basically... I really liked that moment in the movie. Like that moment when they're all we I find that a very moving moment in the Fellowship of the Ring. I think that that, that scene came out really, really well. But that moment now, whenever they give that shot of Legolas, it's like a sour note in that whole scene for me. Now I can't get Orlando Bloom's idiotic commentary out of my head. Um uh, when uh, uh when I'm when I'm watching that scene now. So it's like actually, you know. I don't want to know. <clears throat> I don't want to know what the actor is thinking in their heads. I don't want to know like what they like, what they picture, what they're trying to accomplish. Like, do, let, let them do their thing, and then we can talk about what's on the screen. And and because what he's describing there 
is actually in my mind contradictory to what the film seems to have been actually presenting about Bilbo. Like the stuff with the spider scene and stuff. Like what we're seeing, what we were shown in The Desolation of Smaug is Bilbo looking like he is increasingly in the grip of an addiction to the ring and recognizing that Mm -hmm. fact. Yeah. And if anything, having like some self-revulsion because of recognizing the fact that he is addictively drawn to the ring and becoming and starting to become obsessive about it. That was the story, the on-screen story that we got from Martin Freeman's Bilbo, and I thought it was brilliant. I thought I mean I thought that was done really, really well. Um I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know what he's thinking in his head because it's apparently completely wrong. Um, uh, so anyway, I, and I don't even just mean wrong to the book. I mean wrong to the film even. I cannot imagine. I, can't, I cannot imagine that Philip Boyens and Peter Jackson are like, yeah, let's make Bilbo be an excruciating pain. Like it actually physically hurts him to have the ring on. That doesn't, there is no universe in which that makes sense. Like, other than, apparently, Martin Freeman's universe. But, like, okay, that's my rant. I I totally get it. I mean, it is interesting. I, it, I, I'm kind of like, I guess this must be an area that Jackson let him have his head, you know? I mean, I know we've seen, as you know, in the vlogs and stuff, that Freeman, you know, will do different things, and Jackson will kind of pick from him. So, I mean, there must have been agreement. I mean, I could almost I could almost see Philippa Boynes on the side, like, tearing her hair out. Uh, right at this but he was allowed to portray it this way um yeah i mean it doesn't make sense to me it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways actually but see the thing is i'm fine with it 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 works like what we get on screen works um what we see what what we already saw and we've talked about it several times what we saw in the desolation of smug was him being appearing unwilling to put on the ring that works that's really interesting that works very well in the ring story that we that that Jackson seems to be depicting, but it's not, um, and not for the reason that that uh, that Martin Freeman seems to have in his mind. But that's okay. I don't care what his reason is. You know, his own little private narrative of of what is going on can be really whatever. It, Actually, that's a really interesting point. So we'll see how this comes out in the film in terms of how what our perception of of his reaction to the ring is. I mean, it could be right. completely different than what he's saying, which I'm hoping actually is the case. Right, right, exactly. As Brianna says, luckily film editors and directors pick the shots and you yeah. know, take the and takes that best serve their intentions and not the actors. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, I, I, like I said, what, what, what I saw on screen in The Desolation of Smaug is completely different from what Martin Freeman was, what was apparently in Martin Freeman's head as he was doing it, which is fine. Because again, I, I, I really do not believe that Martin Freeman's uh, picture there of like Bilbo's experience with the ring. I really don't think that that, that his experience there is the, is what like Peter Jackson and Philip Boyan's vision of that is. Uh, Kim says, Kim says she saw the interview and the, uh, it's interesting because she said he she didn't get the impression he was actually talking about physical pain, maybe like no, annoyance or something. I, mean, I don't know. But being but physically still, punched in the face, you know, it's like the idea. Again, I, I I still I still say there is no world in which that kind of an aversion, Bilbo having that kind of an aversion to the ring, makes sense. 
I mean, yeah. like, it's just, it is, it's, like, it doesn't make sense in the book world. It doesn't make sense in the Fellowship of the Ring movie world. Right, it doesn't exactly. make sense in the Hobbit movie world. It doesn't make sense. Like, it is, it is, that is, that that is flatly incoherent that Bilbo would find that kind of just simple repulsion. I find wearing the ring really unpleasant and I don't like doing it, but I'll suck it up for the team and do it and, and go through this really unpleasant experience. Um, that makes no sense in any big picture view of the ring. Nope. And actually I will say, you know, the spider scene, I mean, I rewatched that scene uh, when I was watching the Desolation Smug extended edition and um you don't get that impression from that. It was I got. No. I mean, I didn't. I got more the impression of, oh my God, you know, what have I done? I mean, he looks at the ring like, are you making me behave like this? You know, it was like he was amazed at his, the violence of his reaction to the spiders playing with the ring. It what didn't have, an overtone of any kind of physical, unpleasantness or anything like that. Right. Right. Maybe no. he found beating that little uh, uh, insectoid creature to death physically unpleasant. It's like, I've got this cramp in my hand now. Yes. That's right. That's I, right. Honestly, honestly, like, I, I blame this first and foremost, I blame this on Peter Jackson for even introducing the weird ring vision in the Lord of the Rings films. Right. I don't, I don't right. understand why why it was ever done. I mean, I get it. Like, they, they want to communicate somehow that these – that they're wearing the ring and it's doing something to their perception right. and well, that they're and in that it's doing something to them. Yeah, right? it's doing something to okay. them and it's putting them into the, you know, the whole thing about being halfway between the physical and spirit worlds and all that. Right. I just right. I just think it didn't work. I thought it was dumb and it, and 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 where it really comes back to haunt him is in this film where yes. where where the story that he's supposed to be telling is one where Bilbo Bilbo doesn't have any problems with the ring. He doesn't mind wearing it. He wears it for long periods of time because it's an incredibly useful tool throughout this story. And so, yeah. but, you know, like, that's hard to buy because that weird ring vision thing, man, nobody would want to run around like that. That's horrible. Exactly. You can't exactly. see anything. Um, <laughs> and yeah. and I don't even really like the whole, I don't, I would prefer they not be, I don't know where they're going. So, you know, there, there's part of me that when we talk about the scene where he beats the little creature to death and stuff, and we're like analyzing it and thinking like, you know, oh, I think he's he's reluctantly, you know, he feels like the ring. And it's just like, I don't know why they're doing that in this film, because it just doesn't fit. I don't, maybe, maybe by the end of this third film, I'll change my tune and say, oh, that totally made sense. But so far, I don't like it. I don't think it's working. Like, I, I would, right. I would have preferred them not within the arc of these films right yeah i agree i agree i mean it's hard because this is the big challenge i mean it was the challenge for tolkien you know i was just gonna say i mean to i mean i don't know if this is a defense but i mean he is working with a with a set of books that aren't in themselves consistent across across each other right Right. Right. well i I would have preferred he opted for inconsistency um rather than i would have preferred cross film inconsistency versus internal incoherence yes right. <laughs> i'm gonna remember that internal incoherence yes <laughs> i have a fear i'll be returning to that phrase at the end yeah. of this movie <laughs> and, and i'm willing to eat my words if it turns out that it works well but i i don't know it just it feels like a distraction from the storyline of this film like like the every time they go too far down the road with the ring it feels like we're getting away from the hobbit well 
It, though it, again, it depends. A lot of that's going to depend upon the way in which things do come together at the end. I mean, again, that I can I can see in theory how it can be made to work, given the fundamental premise of these films. That is placing them in you know placing the Hobbit story in the larger context. So if the culmination of the Hobbit story um, is really going to be, I mean, if you're going to tell the Hobbit story as a really important chapter in the st in the story of the. I mean, think about the way that Gandalf introduced Bilbo's story in the the Council of Elrond, right? Um, he tells he he introduces it as like you know this is a the, I, the story of the rings and their forging and everything is told by Elrond, right? Elrond talks for a really really long time, and then he passes off the story. When Bilbo tells his story of the finding of the ring and the meeting with Gollum, um, basically now this, this story, the story of the Hobbit, is made in the context of the, of, the, of the Council of Elrond to be a chapter in the story of the ring. Um, now, in the Lord of the Rings, in the Council of Elrond, we only get the discovery of the ring as part of the story of the ring itself. What the films are doing is to say, looking at now taking the, the lead, not just from the Council of Elrond chapter, but from the appendices and saying how not only the discovery of the ring, but the entire battle of five armies and uh, uh, attack by the White Council on the Necromancer how that is all a chapter in the story of the war with Sauron that's been going on, you know, since the beginning of the Third Age, or near the beginning of the Third Age. Um, so, again, in that context, I can see how the discovery of the ring and this final climactic battle with an army which is essentially, you know, marching under the orders of Sauron, how that could all fit and work together, especially when you're trying to tie it forward slash backward to the Fellowship of the Ring, you know, to the Lord of the Rings films. So I get, it's like, in principle, I'm okay with it. Um, but they do need to sew it up. I mean, they do need to make that work. And I agree with you, Dave. I don't see where it's headed. I don't, I, it's hard for me to imagine that, the especially with as large as the battle itself is looming in this final film, it's hard. This is why I was so disappointed when he said the movie was going to be short. I guess he's back down on that now. But, yeah, um, now they're now they're like all the people at the world premiere on the live stream were talking about what a long film it was. <laughs> right. Well, good. I I would I would have thought a short film would have been awful. Yeah. I mean, unless he was just cutting like half an hour of action sequence, which I'm guessing he wasn't. Um, but um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So so we'll see. We'll see how they bring that together. But but it does have to be all brought together. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like I said, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with it in principle, but, um, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Philip Lord is now definitely anticipating a special edition of the Lord of the Rings, you know, a Lucas, uh, yeah. <laughs> special edition hey, of the Lord of the Rings film. I'd also like to see a Lego, uh, Hob, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, Tolkien stuff, the way that they've done Star Wars. I just... This is a complete side thing, but I just discovered the little half-hour show that they're doing now, which is a Star Wars, you know, Lego thing, which is hilarious. Oh yeah, a a, a like a Lego. The, Yo the Yoda Lego. Chronicles. Yeah. 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 Hilarious. Anyway. Yeah. 
Well, so yeah, this is just yet another thing to look forward to. Exactly. No, I'm. <laughs> I'm. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Feeling a little bit down uh, about the third film. I have to say, I'm. Uh, I'm too uneasy. I'm uneasy about the third film. There's other things that I've read that I'm not even going to bring up that make me yeah. uneasy. Yeah. Why don't you want to bring them up? Come on, give us a chance like to rant some more. Well, it's just what <laughs> just what Corey said earlier. He doesn't want to read, a, you know, some other person's write up of what they I want, saw. I want. Yeah. I want primary texts. I want yeah, primary, that's, fixed on primary texts. Ah. Even though the appearance of some of what I've read is like this happens, then this happens, and this happens, you know, with no editorial it's still another person's story so yeah. it's still editorial unless they're giving you know uh, every, like literally everything that happened it's editorial because they're telling you some of the things they saw and not everything they're telling you some right. of the details and not all you know i just said like it's it may be you know a quite effective description not trying to criticize the people who are making it but um, but it's not a primary text it's all editorial that's right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what I want to end with, and I know this is going to sound insane, what I want to end with is four minutes of trailer because, you know, <laughs> um, that, but no, seriously. Um, you don't want to end um, with, with, with four more minutes of rant? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Four, it could happen. What this is is a montage of the TV spots. Um and I wanted to look at these in part because there's some new footage and shots in here that we didn't get before. Um, and originally I was kind of thinking of just extracting the clips of the new material um, to look at those like we did with the trailer. But then I decided I don't want to do that. And because I was actually just interested watching this straight through because, um, you know, what we get is basically the different TV spots emphasize different elements of the story. And I think it's actually kind of fun to go through and see the different kind of narratives that these TV spots are telling about the film. So I want to look at each one and then, um, and then sort of discuss with each one, you know, sort of what is the, what is the movie, the movie narrative that this TV spot is emphasizing. And then we'll kind of, put them all together at the end and uh, see if that, see where that kind of gets us at the end. See what I mean? All right. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Okay. All right. So here we go. I'm switching my hardware again so everybody can hear the sound. Okay. Oh, wait, hang on. Not working. Wait a second. Sorry. Switching around my hardware too often, maybe giving me hardware issues here. Oh, well. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. All right. Oh well, my little speakers aren't working. Okay. 
have one question to answer. How shall this day end? Any man who wants to give their last. Follow me! Well, that's almost strobe-like <laughs> with the scenes. Yep. Okay, so that one is relatively generic, right? Yeah, there was like nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a 30-second spot, and it's just like this. It doesn't give it doesn't really give anything away. A montage of battle sequences. There's the you know, Gandalf's choose this day thing, but it doesn't really tell any kind of a clear story. So okay, here's the next one. Hey, he said Gandalf will, you know, fight to the. It's like he must have been saying, "Hey, Gandalf, listen to the music. It's fight to the death." <laughs> Well, that does that is suggestive, isn't it? You know. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so where was Bard leading those? So Bard said, "Any men who want to give their lives, follow me." Right. Yes. Where was he leading them? Was he leading them to fight the dwarves, or was he leading them to uh, fight goblins, or was he leading them to try and liberate Thorin? What do What do you think? I think that's got to be when. Um... Uh, I I think that that's got to be leading up to the sequence where we see practically unarmed refugees from Lake Town charging against and fighting a horde of orcs. Mm -hmm. That was that's my assumption anyway. Okay. Okay. Maybe having something to do with that bizarre sequence when he's riding a wagon down a hill in the ruins of Dale. I don't know. Um, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Robert Brown points out that the the idea of war usually is to make the other side give their lives uh, rather than right, yours. Yeah, I was I was thinking I'd be very surprised if we got a lot of takers. Any man who <laughs> want to give their lives, follow me. Anyone, <laughs> anyone, Bueller. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> Um, now, so the theme of this trailer, clearly, this is the, you know, so I, th this this one is much more interesting than the last one, because it's not just a random montage of battle scenes, you know, this is the, the theme is established from Gandalf's voiceover at the beginning, right, with the, uh, um, you know, everybody will choose which side, and, uh, and then we get a bunches of shots of different sides of people who are in moral crisis during this, um, during the movie, right, we've got Thranduil, we've got Thorin, 
mm-hmm. and the choices that they're making. We've got the obvious enemies in the in the goblins, but we've got the you know, and then we've got uh, you know Bard leading people in. When it's not obvious where we're leading them, but that but the idea of self sacrifice, of course. Um, uh, you know, comes in, which seems to sort of correspond with or um, connect to um, uh, the the whole, you know, moral choice theme of that thing. Yeah. So, and then we've got um, that line that Gandalf says in response about how you know Lorien, Rivendell, and even the Shire will all fall if they if they lose. Um, Certainly confirms the the kind of global sense of the significance of this battle that they're that they're giving it in the film. Um, hmm. Okay, and we've got another one. Time is upon us, but all must choose which side we are on. We cannot win this fight. I will not hide. Okay, now that one emphasizes much more clearly the battle of the three armies, right? Yep. And and the conflicts there. We've so we've got, we've got you know Keeley and Torio. I love the juxtaposition of showing the faces of Keeley and Toriel's parting while Bilbo is saying, they're my friends, right? Which I presume he's saying after he's handed over the Ark, like to Thranduil and Bard, right? When he's, when he's sort of saying how he's not being a traitor to Thorin. Yep. That's the context I assume that he's... Um, uh, that he's making. So I love that juxtaposition, like the juxtaposition of Bilbo sort of betraying, but not betraying, benevolently betraying Thorin and also standing up for, you know, while simultaneously standing up for him while we get, you know, that juxtaposed with Toriel and Keeley. I, 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 I really like that. Um, the juxtaposition of, um, Keeley's saying, you know, while others fight our battles for us, with Smaug coming in and burning Lake Town, is was a really fascinating juxtaposition in that trailer as well. Um, and then the conclusion of it with Thorin saying, um, "Will you follow me one last time?" Right, um, yep. sort of pointing to the resolution of this whole sequence in the uh, in his final charge. I assume, at least, that's what it certainly evokes to me. I kind of wonder, now I'm starting to wonder if the Keeley while others fire battles for us is, I still think that has to do with um, the battle of five armies and, and, and that that's, you know, after the goblins attack and that's sort of him, him, convincing Thorin that they need to join the battle. Um, but I cut, but, but it did kind of briefly make me wonder if maybe he might be talking about the, about, um, uh, Dayan's, uh, uh, dwarves fighting the elves and the, and the, and the lake towners just briefly, briefly considered that possibility. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, because you'd think if he were talking about the dwarves attacking the elves and the men of the lake, mm -hmm. he wouldn't be saying, while well, others fight our battles for us. He'd be saying, like, while our friends fight against each other. or <laughs> Yeah. You know, while our kinsmen are out there killing our friends, or you know, they're the people who should be our friends, or whatever. Yeah, I don't want to miss out on this action. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, here's the next one. Okay. So that one is clearly, you know, this is the defining chapter trailer, right? Mm -hmm. um, this one seems to me a little bit more mindless in the sense that it's not really telling a narrative about the story as much as it's simply just trying to provide a teaser for, like, this is the really, really epic conclusion of the six-part Middle-Earth movie sequence. Yeah. Um, it is as... Kristen Hauck points out it is gloomy. The tone is interesting in that way, right? I mean, you could say the same thing about that first trailer, like the random action battle montage trailer. Um, uh, you know, that that one was like, look how epic the end of it is going to be. This one is much more subdued and grim. I agree, Kristen. I think that's a really good observation. And it's, it is kind of interesting that they kind of go in that direction when so much of the, even the even the text on the screen, um, you know, emphasizing like the last time to Middle Earth and all that stuff. Um, um, and yet, it, you know, the, the whole thing was kind of grim. Grim, I think, is the word I would use. But Well, it is pretty grim. No more movies. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Next 30 second spot. I'm not afraid of Thorin. And you should be. You brought upon them ruin and death. Am I not the king? You cannot see what you have become. Others will now look to the mountain for its wealth, its position. This was the most wounded masterpiece. Plan long in the making. Okay, now that was pretty interesting. And that was yeah. pretty Thorin-centric, at least in the beginning. Yeah, that's the Thorin trailer. What was he it's... shouting about not being the king? Yeah, no, it's like, uh, like, am I not the king? Isn't that what yeah. he said? Something like right. that? Yeah, I guess that's what it was. Yeah, he, he was asserting his right as king. Um, and what, what was Legolas saying? Oh, Slytherin was talking about how others will now will now look to the mountain now that the dragon is dead. Mm. <clears throat> Those lines, I assume, are going to be delivered like in the refugee camp, like you know, the morning after the death of Smaug. I assume this is Legolas saying, "Okay, it's time to think big picture, people. Now that the dragon is dead, we've got you know, basically that that's the speech where our attention is drawn to the fact 
that the political climate in the area has just shifted because now we have a large unguarded mountain chock full of the wealth of nations. Um, what to me was really fascinating about that line is the way, did you notice how when they said that there will be others who will be uh, looking to the mountain for wealth and they shifted to a shot of Thranduil? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was cool. Um, and for position, by which I assume it, he means strategic position, mm -hmm. that is the, the the sort of the 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 position of the mountain as a point of of military strategy, um, which then is what segued to Gandalf again talking about the master plan. Um, so. But yeah, the emphasis there at the beginning of Thorin's decline um, was uh, was really strong. Yeah, that line from Gandalf, which wasn't in the main trailer, uh, you know, when he tells uh, when he tells Bilbo that he should be afraid of Thorin, right? That was really strong. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, and we assume, and that's we assume after... that that was part of the same conversation, right? They're not. They haven't edited it so right. yeah. Gandalf's actually saying that to somebody else about some other subject. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Is, is that post that's post Thief in the Night? That's after he's Yes. Stolen the so uh, um and so and this is where he's contemplating going back. Yeah, I assume so. Well, this is so. this is where this is where uh, Thranduil and Bard are like you know maybe you should stay here, and hang out with us. Right. Okay. I'm guessing from the look of that shot, I'm guessing that that conversation doesn't happen between Thranduil and Bard, but just between Gandalf and Gandalf. Bilbo, or, yeah, with Gandalf and Bilbo alone. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I would guess also that that's the same conversation in which Bilbo delivers that line about you know they're you know they're my friends. Yep. That we got juxtaposed with Kiwi and Torio before. Yep. Um, yeah, and Brianna says the other clip makes it seem like Bilbo doesn't go back to the dwarves right away. Yeah, Brianna, the main trailer made it look like the battle breaks out before Bilbo gets back. So he's, which I think means we're not going to get a descendant of rats confrontation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, not that we're not going to get any Descendant of Rats content, necessarily, but... Um... Oh, wait a second. Brent is pointing out, hang on, he's at Ravenhill. How does Bilbo get to Ravenhill? That's right. I think we mentioned, we saw him in Ravenhill in another... In another... Yeah, and that's another See. reason why I was assuming because one of the one of the points of um, one of the points of of sequence that did seem to be relatively clear from the main trailer <clears throat> was that Bilbo is in the ruins of Dale when the ba when the battle's going on. Um, and but that was before I had any reason to suspect that the Ravenhill sequence was like in the last, in the second half of the battle, rather than prior to the battle. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, yeah, no idea. No idea there. Um, 
<laughs> Philip says he has to get up to the hill in order to stand there condescendingly counting the armies. Um, yeah, just like the Rankin-Bass film. Exactly. Okay. Next one. Well, Legolas is looking a little crazy in that one. Yes. Yes. So this is the... Last Goodbye trailer. <laughs> right. The Last Goodbye trailer. The, the, the Beware, It's a Tragedy trailer. Oh, right. Right. The Brace Yourself, People Are Going to Die trailer. That's right. Starting with Bilbo talking about the people who didn't survive and... Yeah. Notice how I I don't think they embedded spoilers in that though. Because on the one hand, we didn't get shots of Fuey and Kiwi, but we did get shots of you know I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if there. I don't I don't think I I don't think there's any correlation between people who appeared in that trailer and people who are going to die. Um. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't tip their hand either way. I think. You give a promise. You've won the mountain. Is that not enough? Now, defend. This was the last move in the past. Plan that makes no sense. So that one is basically most of the main trailer. That one is a full minute long. Um, the emphasis on Bilbo and Thorin at the beginning was interesting. It was it was very much like the Thorin goes bonkers trailer that we uh, you know th that we got earlier on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but then the rest of it plays out in mostly same way. I mean, it's there 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 are bits cut. It's only about half of it but um but the rest of it plays out in most of the same ways that the main trailer played out so the last one is interesting but not really new in that right. um there are there were a couple i don't think this compilation that i found is all of them um i definitely remembered seeing one where we got goadriel actually fighting like goadriel actually mhm mm doing some impressive magic thing. Um, right. But uh, 
so that was nice, but that wasn't in this particular montage that I recorded. Um, anyway. So big picture. We were both expressing concern. What are your primary concerns about the film? All of us are a little bit uneasy. What would you say you're most uneasy about? I I get this impression from those trailers especially, and I've kind of gotten this, that I, I just think there's going to be way too much emphasis on Legolas and what he does in this movie. I mean, I it seems like we see a lot of him, and I just, to the, and I think the worry I have is that's going to be at the expense of other characters like Bayorn, Diane, you know, and other, other of the characters, like the dwarves and stuff. I just, I don't know, I, t I kind of get this impression this could be, you know, let's, let's put Legolas in as much as possible. Well, you know what I wonder? I wonder if that's just in the trailers. Uh, like, it could be like as a way film. to as a way to get people to come to the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I do. I don't know what's what's more. I hope that's the case. What's more cynical? What's a more cynical thought that they're going to emphasize his role in the film, uh, in order to play up, you know, in order to exploit his 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 appeal to the masses and the fandom, or that they that he won't actually have a big role in the film, but they'll but they'll um, uh, exaggerate it in the trailers in order to get people to come. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. No. <laughs> They're well, both equally cynical. Yeah, but I mean, I could understand the latter in the sense of you know, I'd forgive that if if yes, if indeed. Yeah, I would prefer that. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely would too. Um, see, the thing is, it's hard. You know, I wonder to what to to what extent our reactions to Legolas are like an inverse Orlando Bloom effect. That is, I mean, I think most Tolkien people find Orlando Bloom annoying, mostly because Tolkien people, after the Lord of the Rings film, certainly, the like Orlando Bloom fangirl thing was certainly one of the most irritating fan reactions, you know, and, and one of the things that I saw purists doing a lot, which was like, kind of getting irritated about Legolas and how Legolas's role, at least in the public mind, was being expanded because of the way that Orlando, everyone was just going crazy about Orlando Bloom. Um, and so when Orlando Bloom comes back in The Hobbit and Legolas is there in The Hobbit, um, th I think there's been this sort of inclination on the part of everybody who's not an Orlando Bloom you know, fangirl or boy who who is saying who's basically we've been rolling our eyes the minute we saw Orlando Bloom, you know. And but when I try to back up from it and look at it, you know, just try to distance myself from the Orlando Bloom phenomenon, right? The thing makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, as I've said many times before and years ago, um, it makes no sense not to have Legolas in this movie makes no sense at all not to have Legolas in the movie because yeah. of course he would be there. We're talking about his right. kingdom, you know, and it makes perfect sense that you would expand his role in a way that would give him a prominent role in the story because I mean, 
just again, not only take it out of Orlando Bloom, take it out of Legolas. You know, imagine if it were any other of the nine walkers who were who was positioned to be, you know, to have a role because it's like there. You know, like imagine if there were, you know, another a, a film that were being made. I, I mean, I, I'm completely making stuff up now. If there were a film that were being made of like you know, the early days in the Blue Mountains and Gimli's there and he's there the whole time and he logically has to be involved in all the action, but they just decide to make him a really minor character and barely give him any lines. Wouldn't that seem weird? I mean, it's like, dude, it's Gimli. Like, we want to know more about Gimli. Like, who cares about everybody else? What is Gimli doing, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, expanding... Having Legolas there it is absolutely necessary. I mean, you'd have to bend over backwards to exclude Legolas from the Hobbit story. Right. Telling it from the post-Lord of the Rings point of view. And since that, since he's there, you know, you can't, if you marginalize him, how bizarre is that? Right? I mean, that would seem weird. I mean, if you've got, you've yeah. got to give these lines to somebody, why not Legolas? The character that everyone is already attached to, book and film people alike attached to from the Lord of the Rings. But then you get the Orlando Bloom factor, right? So now you put Orlando Bloom in that role of the expanded role played by the Nine Walker in this, you know, imaginative recreation of the post-Lord of the Rings Hobbit. You put Orlando Bloom in that role and we tend, for understandable reasons, to roll our eyes when we get lots of Orlando Bloom and his improbably uh, uh, augmented blue eyes, right? right? Right. Um, but, <laughs> but I don't know. So, I mean, it's, it's hard. This is why I have a hard time. Um, um, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's like we say, the trailers are so hard to, to really make any kind of logical. Yeah. Yeah. Conclusion I mean, the from. role that they gave Legolas in the second film, I actually thought worked pretty well. I mean, he was, he was the middle ground, right? You know, you have you have essentially all of Wood Elf culture staked out in three characters, Toriel, Thranduil, and Legolas. And you've got Thranduil and Toriel at two different extremes with Legolas in the middle, which makes him a pivotal character. And frankly, again, I think that that's a very respectable position to put Legolas in. Again, thinking of it as just a, you know, what role is Legolas of the Nine Walkers going to be playing in this story? Right. Um, that's a very. And I think it followed through well to what we what we see of him then in Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, and if we, because mm-hmm. because he couldn't be. I mean, it would be it would be not only inconsistent with the depiction of him in the Lord of the Rings films, um, and even in the Lord of the even in the books. But it would be more than that. It would be campy to have him be the plucky Toriel figure, right? To have like, I mean, imagine how much more saccharine and cloying it would be if it were, if Toriel didn't exist and it were just Legolas who was like, no dad, like we should stand up for dwarves. I want to fight for them. Like, you know, then he would just look like a whiny teenage son and it would look like they're, they've gone way out of their way to make Legolas this like politically correct hero. Right. And they didn't do that. Instead, they put him in the middle ground gave him less in that sense less of a role less of a forceful role and um and but he becomes sort of the 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 medium character not only meaning the one in the middle but the one who sort of mediates 
the thing and mediates it to sort of to the viewers as well. I don't know. I mean, I, I it's it's hard. I think they're in a tough place with uh, with Legolas in these films, and it's hard to do it right. But I I I really you know the more I I sort of sit back and think about the whole situation, the the less grief I feel like I can really give them for how they've actually depicted Legolas. But we'll see. I mean, it, it could certainly go off the rails in the third film. Yeah, I think my concern is I just hope the story doesn't become elf-centric versus dwarf-centric. I mean, right. um, you know, I, I hopefully they don't do that. No, I mean, I, well, it's certainly, I mean, there's obviously plenty of focus on Thorin, um, you know, on his side of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, certainly the elf side of it is, is certainly ramped up. Um, you know, um, I, think I, I think I primarily agree with Brent, or at least 90% with Brent. Um, Brent says uh, his main concern is the story suffering because of a focus on action and the story ultimately not making any sense. That's my concern, too. Um, the the 10% with which I wouldn't fully agree with that is the action thing. I've talked about this before. I have no problem with action. I think action, you know, action films are a mode of storytelling and a perfectly respectable mode of storytelling, as I've, I've ranted on that subject a few times before. But... Um, but but like battle tactics, like if if we're just getting a lot of like flashy battle sequences, and the story ends up not being clear at all, I'm gonna I'm gonna I I'm 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 worried about that. By the way, Philip Lord uh, makes a good. He asked if the trailers have any. Did we see a glimpse of Diane Diane Dane Den? No. No. Wow, no, keeping him playing him close to the chest, or 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 have they or maybe been burned? he's not in the movie? Or have they realized <laughs> have they realized he's bad publicity for them? And uh... yes, maybe they've cut him out. <laughs> right, perhaps Dan Ironfoot is going to be in the Azog on the parapet of uh, of uh, of the final film. There, I mean, yeah, except I, know, I, I think he'll be in the film. I think they just they're just not promoting him in the trailers because they know it'll provoke. I people. did, by the way, read that they completely CGI'd him. Really? What? So yeah. fact, they didn't even need to bring they, they didn't even need to bring Connolly in at all. Yeah, apparently. I mean, I it was weird because it, somebody said that uh, skeptical. You don't really skeptical. notice it at first, but when there's like close-ups, you can tell that he's actually CGI. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe that was in response to Connolly's unpopular stand on Tolkien. <laughs> Well, if you wanted to actually be in the film in person, you shouldn't have said what you said. Um. Anyway, sorry. All right. Announcements. So, uh, spring classes for Mythgard will be opening soon. Um, I can't yet officially divulge full information on those yet, but I will say um, those should be coming out within the next week or so. That's I swear, I thought the last episode you told us what they were going to be. Um, did I? I thought you did. Yeah, Maybe probably. Not. probably. Yeah, I did. Yes, yeah. sure. Okay, yes, yeah. you did. All right, yeah. fine, I did. Well, then I won't try to keep it secret what I've already told you. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, the the, um, the Chippy Beowulf class and the, uh, the uh, it's, it, it, that should be awesome. So, uh, anyway, but we, we should have, we should definitely have, uh, have more information soon, so. 
When um, are the uh, when do when do classes start? By the way, classes start it... in the, the the second week of January. So okay. this is this is the long vacation um, for uh, for Signum. Um, the longest term break we have is between fall and spring because we complete our fall semester before Thanksgiving and then we don't start off the spring until after New Year's. So we have the whole between Thanksgiving and New Year's swath off, which is quite nice actually. So yeah, it's 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 right after Mythmoot is when uh, Oh okay. Um, like the Monday class. after or something like that. Monday Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Monday after. Um, immediately after Mythmoot. Oh geez, okay. I probably will miss the first class then if he's doing a if he's doing Mondays. I'll be in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Uh, yeah. No, we'll be uh we'll be We'll be good, yeah. So, and we've got, um, uh, uh, you know, Mythmoot coming up. There have been a, a, a bunch more people who have signed up for Mythmoot this week. That's been great. You know, we, we really encourage everybody to come. It's going to be a, a fantastic group this year, a uh, bigger group than last year already, it looks like, and uh, we're really we're really excited about Mythmoot. Anything, anything you want to add about Mythmoot? Well, I do want to, yeah, I do want to actually say, uh, I, I'm working on actually getting some more information from our special guest, Chris Pearson, this week, so that I can put out more than just simply Chris Pearson from Lotro is going to be our special guest. Um, so I intend to be talking to him and to Andy, who's the uh, community manager, about, you know, how Turbine slash Lotro you know, what really fun stuff we could be doing that would be interesting for all attendees, not just people who are familiar with the game. Um, talking about world creation and, you know, some of what we have talked about today, which is how, you know, when we were talking about uh, what are the movies, you know, how has Lotro taken Tolkien's works and uh, expanded on it without, uh, you know, while, while aligning with it. Um, and uh, as you all know, we've been playing the game and in fact are uh, are becoming uh, pretty well Mythgard has is, is created a, a, a presence on Lotro um, so Corey will certainly be talking to Chris a lot about uh, the game, you know, his experience of the game from the lore standpoint which I think will be interesting for people whether they've played the game or not um, but the other side of it is also if you have not yet gone to see, I mean there is a very very interesting array of paper presenters. You know, if you want to call that the academic side of the conference, it is really rich. Um, I'm really pleased with how we seem to be ramping up uh, every conference, you know, just as, of course, this is all, our only second one we've done papers, but still, it's it's like, you know, last conference was fabulous, and this time, I think we've even, you know, topped it in terms of the uh, array and, and, and quality and um, uh, reach of the uh, topics, sort of something for everybody. So I think it's going to be just a terrific, terrific, and we're going to be doing a listener, a Riddles in the Dark listener panel, too. So, you know, I mean, that alone will make it worth being there. So I, I think it's going to be just a terrific, terrific uh, conference, January 10th and 11th in Baltimore. Yep. Yeah, no, it should be great. The 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 academic content is going to be, you know, that we, you know, we're really going to be doing a whole bunch of different stuff. We've got, um, you know, some really great papers being uh, being presented. We also have, you know, there's going to be a lot of like pop culture angle as we'll be talking about, you know, video game adaptations, and we'll be talking about the films. Um, we'll be doing, you know, a bunch of discussion of the book and just having fun together. So it's going to be it's going to be a really great time. I'm really looking forward to the. Uh, to the to the Lotro stuff in particular, we've been doing a lot with Lord of the Rings online, and um, I am uh, I, I've I've been you know very in, very much interested in the 
uh, in the, the the work of adaptation and subcreation that um, that Lotro has been doing. And um, so anyway, I've um, uh, very excited to talk about that more. Um, we had our first uh, we had our first Mythgard Monday in uh, in in Lord of the Rings Online at a, a a bunch of people got together and and uh, sort of went questing with me and uh, in in Lotro this past Monday and that was a lot of fun. We're gonna do that every Monday night on the Landreval server. Um, and um, uh, I've been really I've been really enjoying learning as I've been sort of uh, uh, being exposed to it and a lot of the stuff I've been really kind of working through as I've been thinking about it. I've been I'm, I'm very so I'm excited to hear from Chris Moore, Chris Pearson, the uh, senior lore guy uh, at uh, at Turbine, um, and to be talking with him more at, uh, at, at. And if anybody wonders, yes, Dave Kale will be emceeing a trivia contest Saturday night. That's right. Um, right. Dave, I, I, I've bought the Lord of the Rings movie a Trivial Pursuit game and plan to bring the box of cards with me. Ah. So that we can we can farm those if we need to. Okay, good. And the good news is it's not just movie questions. There's also book questions, so um, so it should be interesting. All right. I think I have I think I have that as well. Uh, Do you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it I think it's at my my parents' place in Oklahoma, but I'm visiting them for New Year's, so I'll, I'll grab. Well, it. I thought I might bring the whole game with me and put it in the hospitality suite. So yeah, good idea. Play Lord of the Rings: Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> We will be having a hospitality suite also this year, so and the Laura Burkholz will be hosting it. So there will be a little lotro, there will be a little schmoozing, you know, hanging out. Um, that'll be a nice late night place people can go if they prefer not to go to the bar, and there'll be some munchies there and stuff. So that's a that's an addition this year is the hospitality suite. We're kind of growing up. Gradually. Right. That's right. Gradually. That Gradually. reminds me, I got to make my flight. Yeah, you better. That's true. That's true. Um, okay. Timothy asked about a film viewing on Friday night. That's a completely spontaneous amongst the participants. Well, if not, anybody's there on Friday not night. Not quite spontaneous, but voluntary, yeah. Voluntary, yeah. yeah. Since and I don't know not, yet what time if we're going to go. Not mandatory? Not mandatory. Well, since we're not doing Mythmoot this year on opening weekend of the film, um, as we've done before. So in the past two years, of course, we did, you know, we had a scheduled, you know, viewing of the film as part of the events of the weekend because it was opening weekend and that was, that was part of the idea of it originally. Since we're not on opening weekend anymore, you know, we're assuming most people who are interested in seeing it will have seen it by then. So we're not going to take up a big chunk of our time um, to have, a, to have a, a scheduled viewing. But the night before the conference starts on Friday night, um, you know, many people will be there. Not everybody will be there, but we're gonna we're gonna plan to see an early show um, of the Hobbit film uh, on that on that day, so that a bunch of people, uh, those of us who will be we'll there, will probably together can see post dinner show on it because we had talked about pop yeah, it'll, it'll be dinner post dinner, but 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 early enough so we can then still get back and hang out a little bit afterward. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we we'll, we will if we. I'm hoping that the three of us and hopefully Laura too can join us. We'll do a post game episode of uh, post game post movie episode yeah even before uh uh myth mood so even that will have happened by the time we were there yeah yeah um yeah and we will um sharon is asking about a uh, reaction or you know like a, a post film riddles in the dark you know the riddles in the dark wind up uh series um 
we haven't made a schedule for that yet, Sharon. Um, we'll probably be releasing that within the next couple weeks. Um, my thought is we, we may wait until after MythMoot to really do our full analysis and discussion. Oh, okay. really? Oh, I figured we were going to do something at least. Well, no, 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 something. I, I mean, of the riddle game. You know, like actually going oh, through well, and doing the, doing the sort of adjudication of the riddle oh, well, episodes. We're having it, yeah, and that'll actually probably happen over multiple episodes because there's no yes. way we're going to be able to go through all yeah. of the riddles yeah. and conundrum. But the, uh, the riddles in the dark reactions we'll probably do before the end of the oh, year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that 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 will do sometime. <laughs> sure, it's planning her life around it, so please let her know ASAP. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes, and what will the plan then is after Mythmoot is over, which is eleventh is the last day of Mythmoot. Sometime in that, so in January and possibly into February, we'll have multiple episodes where the folks who are live listening to our episodes will be voting on the right answers for all of the riddles and conundrum. Yeah, probably probably two or three um, episodes. Yeah. Easily. I'd say probably three, most likely. Yeah, so that's the plan. Okay, all right. We will let you guys go. Uh, I appreciate everybody being here. Um, So we will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.